This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, uh, we'll check out last night's action in high school hoops. Another big name on the West Virginia defense leaves Morgantown. The man who people want out of Washington will now have more control in Washington. And the NHL overreacts to something that we already knew. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of this show right here. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Also, our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Any of those pages. You can drop me a line, leave me a message. Got a question, got a comment, an opinion. We just want to say, hey, what's up? It's all good. Twitter, Facebook, it's right there for you. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance, Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page, on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. Go back and listen to whatever you missed or re-listen to something or whatever. It's, it's, it's all right there. All right, let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with boys high school basketball where Keon Padmore Johnson had 22 points to lead Spring Mills to a 64-55 win over Hampshire in Romney. Trevor Sardo had 18 points to lead the Trojans, who have lost four straight after a 3-0 start. On the girls' side, Frankfurt rolled over Robert C. Bird 57-27 at RCB. Marie Purdue did it again. Led the Falcons with 23 points. Izzy Layton and Haley Smith each had 11 as FHS improved to 8-1. and one. Elsewhere, Preston was three better than Buchanan Upshur, 48-45. In college football, West Virginia's Tyke Smith announced yesterday he is entering the transfer portal. Oh, the portal. Smith had 20, or not 21, 61 tackles last season, 8-4 a loss, two interceptions, seven passes defended. And he is the second Mountaineer defensive starter to enter the portal this offseason. Cornerback Dreshen Miller transferred to Auburn. In spring training action, Adam Frazier and Nick Gonzalez homered as the Pirates beat the Braves 6-3. Bucks also announced yesterday that starting pitcher Stephen Brault will be shut down for at least a month with a lat strain. Elsewhere, the Orioles were blanked by the Red Sox 2-0. 
And the Nationals lost to the Astros 11-8. Ryan Zimmerman homered twice for the Nats. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber also homered. Those guys have been simply mashing the ball uh, this spring. Nationals fans, uh, you're going to like Josh Bell, okay? As a Pirates fan, I've seen him. And you're going to like him. He can hit. On the ice last night, he can't throw. He can't throw. Josh Bell cannot throw. He's not a very good defensive player, but he can hit. On the ice last night, Sidney Crosby and Zach Aston Reese each had a goal and assist as the Penguins cruise by the hapless Sabres. 5-2 in Pittsburgh. Buffalo is now winless in 15 straight games. That's the longest streak since Arizona went 15 winless in 2004. Buffalo is historically bad this year. Same two teams do it again tonight at PPG Paints Arena. Also tonight, the Capitals return from a five-day layoff to host New Jersey. And since the Caps are at home, that means the Wizards are on the road. Uh, They take on the Knicks at the famous, the world-famous Madison Square Garden. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Buffalo, (laughs) what do they have, six wins this year? Is that right? (laughs) They have six wins. (laughs) They played 31 games. And they've won six of them. I'm telling you, they are historically bad. Their best player, Jack Eichel, has been injured for a while. They have a minus 45 goal differential. That's amazing. You can even try to be that bad. And by the way, the NHL calls it a winless streak because you can pick up points by taking games to overtime, right? Each team gets a point for going to OT. It's a losing streak. All right? It's the same thing. It's a 15-game losing streak. They have not picked up a W in 15 straight games. Again, that's the longest streak since 2004. And again, the Penguins have a chance to get fat against them again tonight as they kind of hang around the top of the East Division. Islanders are still in first with uh, 46 points. The Capitals have 44, and the Pens have 42. And then the Bruins are six points back in fourth place. Again, top four teams in each division this season make the playoffs. The Pens have been struggling. Look, look, the Pens play the Devils three straight games. And the Devils aren't great. They're not great. They've only won 12 games this year. And half of those probably came against Buffalo. And the Pens lost two or three to the Devils last weekend in the weekend because the Pens are, they play like five games in seven days. They're banged up, they're injured. But nothing can cure your ails. Like playing the Buffalo Sabres. So hopefully the Pens can get back to back last night and tonight to uh, kind of hang around again at the top of that East Division. All right. So 
We'll have more hockey talk later uh, because of a decision that was made yesterday that was absolutely ridiculous. But first, we're going to start with some football here. And we talked about the Washington football team yesterday and how uh, team president Jason Wright had mentioned during an interview that they are considering keeping Washington football team as the official name. Like not having just a traditional nickname that moving forward, because they're going to be WFT this year. There will be no nickname this season in 2021. There will be an official name in place next year. Right. So we discussed that yesterday. I think it's dumb. I think it's stupid to have no nickname. But that pales in comparison (laughs) to the news that came out later yesterday. Because the man who people have wanted for years to sell the Washington football team, the man who runs a team that is currently under investigation for sexual harassment allegations, the man who finally gave in to changing a socially insensitive nickname, the man who, quite frankly, is public enemy number one, When it comes to the Washington football team, uh, he is now going to own more of it. (laughs) Daniel Snyder, oh, Danny boy, will gain almost complete control of the franchise after his application to buy out his minority investors was approved by the NFL's finance committee. Snyder applied for something called a debt waiver. It's a $450 million debt waiver to buy out minority owners Fred Smith, Robert Rothman, and Dwight Schar. Snyder currently owns 40.59% of the Washington football team. Collectively, Smith, Rothman, and Schar own 40.5%. Of the team. That's 81% of the franchise. If this deal goes through, Daniel Snyder will own 81% of the team. And when you consider that Snyder's mother owns 6.5% and his sister owns 12.55%. The Snyder family will have complete and total control of the Washington football team. Complete and total control. The same guy that Washington fans want to run out of town on a rail, he's he's going to control the whole thing. And this is a definite twist in the plot. A definite 180 from where things looked last year. And uh, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz discussed the about face that this story has taken uh, since last summer. And so if you're a Washington football team fan, you got to feel 
a little bit excited about your team going towards next year, but now a little bit nervous that somebody that's had a very, very up-and-down tenure as the owner is only going to get more power and less checks and balances. This is quite a flip from not too many months ago when those minority owners were trying to force him out. Uh, And those minority owners were, were trying to sort of, by pushing their way out of their stake in the team, perhaps blow up the whole thing, right? We had heard of them wanting out. We had heard of them uh, pushing back on the direction of the team, in particular the fact that there would be yet another investigation into the franchise, this time by attorney Beth Wilkinson looking into uh, sexual harassment allegations, um, a toxic culture there. So these minority owners said, we, we want out. We don't like how this is going. And, and the conversation then became, does the whole team need to be replaced with, with ownership? Uh, how many different ways has Snyder sort of violated the principles of you know the respect and the and the good quote-unquote good name of of the nfl and its teams and instead somehow it feels like he will instead gain more power and be more of a fixture there and that's uh i guess i shouldn't say surprising with the nfl but like we said before that may be the result of other owners not wanting people to come looking around their houses by shining a light on his and saying he needs out I think part of what's com- concerning for Washington fans is you can look at Dan Snyder's tenure in ownership and you could say, okay, it's been mostly bad on the field. Just being real. It's been mostly a tragic disaster on the field. It's been bad behind the scenes, as we've all found out through these investigations. Like They're also currently going through a rebranding of the team name, and it has been reported that they're considering keeping Washington football team as their <laughs> only name. So if you're a fan of this team, you're looking at it and saying, hey, Our owner's been a liability to the product on the field. He's been a liability to the culture that's created uh, off the field. And he's been no help in the process of trying to figure out how to rebrand what's moving forward. It's just a really frustrating moment for a sports fan when you realize that your favorite team's owner is just not good at owning a business because there's no solution to that. The only solution they had was hope that maybe the smaller or the minority owners would be able to come in and say, hey, we're going to figure out a way to change things. And now with them eliminated from the scene, it just feels like more of the same is the destiny for Washington. Now, other owners, okay, are going to vote at the league's annual meeting next week on whether to approve this deal. And Snyder needs 24 of the 31 other owners to vote in favor of said deal. Now, the the total amount of the deal for the minority shares would be 875 mil. And Snyder would have to repay that debt by 2028. The Washington Post reported that another group of investors offered 900 mil for the minority shares, but Snyder blocked that deal. And the deal, should it go through, will not affect in any way the investigation by Wilkinson into the franchise and the sexual assault allegations and the, the toxic environment that we talked about a lot last summer. Bottom line is, Washington fans, uh, you're stuck with them. <laughs> and that's plain and simple. If this deal goes through and he buys out the minority owners, Daniel Snyder will have nobody except for the NFL itself to keep him in check. Nobody. He'll have nobody to answer to. 
when it comes to the day-to-day operations of that team. I shudder to think. You know, (laughs) Jason Fisher said, no checks and balances. It's going to be wide open for Daniel Snyder. Who, again, over the years he's proven he's not a very good owner. He's just not. He meddles too much. He sticks his nose into football operations too much. And you go back to when he first got the franchise. He was like, he was he was a guy playing real life fantasy football. I mean, with a real an actual team because he was a fan of the team, and so he bought it. And he runs it like a fantasy team, and he's run it very poorly. And now <laughs> he will have complete control. Of the Washington football team. Speaking of which, before we go to break, again, we talked about it yesterday. About they, you know, they're considering making Washington football team WFT the official name. I'm not the only one who thinks that's a dumb idea. Here's Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. I hate it. It's a damn disgrace. And we know how much I raved about the decisions that they've made, the hiring of a Julie Donaldson, the hiring of a Jason yes. Wright, Martin Mayhew. But, damn, you can't even come up with a name for your own damn team. I mean, the Washington football team. We don't even know whether it's Washington or Washington, the na- D.C., the nation's capital. That's just ridiculous. Come up with a damn name. Ridiculous. <laughs> come what on. What he said. What he said. What he said. You're embarrassing. Uh, you get caught with your pants down. What are you, doing? you get caught with your pants down because for years you Call stubbornly sign. refused to change the name, and now you don't even have a backup name. Get not even a name. <laughs> They're not wrong. I can't imagine anybody. I cannot imagine anybody being happy with their team simply being called the Washington Football Team. It's bad enough it's owned by Daniel Schneider. It's bad enough that it could be owned completely by the Schneider family. And now you don't even have a nickname. I feel bad for Washington fans. I really do. It's been it's been a tough. Now look, I know we have somehow, some way, we have several Eagles fans in our area, heck, even in our building. And there's Cowboys fans everywhere. And you know, Giant, you know they're loving it. You know they are loving it. You know they're following this story of Daniel Snyder taking complete control of that franchise, and they are loving it because they know he will continue to torpedo the franchise. what he's done for years and years and years. Nothing's going to change. So if you are a fan of the Washington football team, the WFT, the Washington Fighting Riveras, the Washington whatevers, I feel bad for you. My heart goes out to you. Because not only are you stuck with a team with no name, you're stuck with an owner that you don't want for Lord knows how long. 
All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. More of the rush. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. You know, it's not very often that we talk about NHL officiating on this show. Then again, it's not very often an NHL official gets fired for calling a penalty. In case you missed this story, uh, longtime referee Tim Peel was shown the door after getting caught saying this on a hot mic. There wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early. Now, in case you missed that, Peel, who was mic'd up and apparently forgot about it, said, quote, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get a bleeping penalty against Nashville early, end quote. Now, Peel, uh, he had just called a penalty on Nashville forward Victor Arvidsson about, eh, about five minutes, a little less than five minutes into the second period uh, of their game against Detroit. Arvidsson was called for tripping uh, Red Wings defenseman John Merrill. Even though, if you look at the replay, Merrill clearly embellished the call. He, he clearly embe- he flopped, basically. We say it's a flop in basketball. It's an embellishment in hockey. When a player falls to draw a call. Which, in case you don't know, in case you don't follow hockey, embellishment is also a penalty in the game. NHL senior, this guy may have the longest title in the history of sports. NHL senior executive vice president of hockey operations, Colin Campbell, made the announcement yesterday morning that Peel would, quote, no longer be working NHL games now or in the future, end quote. Campbell said, nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of our... I love when big wigs start talking about the integrity of their sport. He says, nothing's more important than the integrity of our, of our game, and there was no justification for Peel's comments. Except uh, it happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. Happens in NHL, happens in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Basketball or Baseball. I don't know what Major League Basketball is. It's some combination of uh, baseball and fishing, apparently. It happens everywhere. If you pay enough attention to the games, if you watch enough games, if you play in enough games, you coach enough games, you understand that sometimes officials will make a call to let teams know how the game is going to be officiated. It's kind of like a warning shot. All right? They're going to make a call to let you know, you know, you can get away with this, but you can't get away with this. You can do this, but you can't do that. Sometimes they make a call to even things up. Sometimes they blow the whistle to make up for a bad call. It happens all the time. Peel 
just got caught admitting it on a hot mic. Now, since yesterday, uh, reactions to Peel's firing has been kind of all over the place. Here's ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. It's mixed. Matt DeShane of the Predators basically came out and said today, there's no place for this in our game. Though I got a lot of players and coaches saying that they thought the punishment was a little harsh and they were defending Tim Peel. One player even told me that game management or makeup calls are commonplace in the NHL. Tim Peel just happened to get caught. Now, the NHL does not allow its officials to talk to pool reporters after game, and that can allow to a lack of accountability and also an air of mystery. A couple years ago, I was able to write a story about a It was a big deal to get it approved by the NHL. And I'm surprised to find that a lot of these guys would welcome the opportunity to talk to fans and explain themselves and also show that they are human. I'll end you with this. Talking to folks around the league today, it does not sound like the NHL has any appetite to change its officiating program. Now, of course, why would they? Why would they? This has been going on for years. Dude should not have been fired. Not for that. Because we all know what happens. And for Colin Campbell to come out and say, we got to protect the integrity of the game. We know it happens, especially in hockey. If you watch and follow the game long enough, you you know a makeup call is coming from a mile away, right? You know when an official blows a call. And guess what? The official knows it too. (laughs) He knows it. He's well aware. And so you can sit there and you can watch a game. And you could actually say to yourself, well, we got to make up a call coming. You know, you can see it from a a mile away. And then you know it immediately when it happens. Like, oh, there it is. There's the makeup call. It's just one of those things. That you know happens. It's it's one of those dirty little secrets, and that you just kind of you kind of look the other way because you know it's going to benefit your team somewhere down the road. You know, maybe not in that game, but in another game, you're going to get that makeup call. You're going to get that call that kind of sets the tone. So you just kind of. You know, and when people say that, oh, there's no place for it in the game. Of course there is. We just don't talk about it. <laughs> we just don't bring it up. And the only reason why we're bringing it up now and the only reason why the NHL acted upon it is because, well, it was picked up on a microphone. That's it. It's the only reason. And we're going to play a clip here from Izzy Gutierrez and Mike Golick Jr., who who both say that pill should have been gone. Look, I understand the idea of sort of setting up a makeup call, maybe, right? You're a, you're, an, you're a referee. You understand how the game flows, and maybe this was going to get physical. So early on, you say, hey, let me call something light so that, you know, the game sort of flows the way I want it to. And, you know, there aren't so many penalties, and it isn't that physical. You know you're mic'd up. 
A, don't drop the F-bomb when you're mic'd up, potentially, right? And then B, don't admit to your fellow refs, hey, I'm controlling the game with my calls. That's the last thing that you want in any of these professional sports is the referee to feel like they are controlling the game. I understand a makeup call, but to set up a makeup call and then go ahead and tell everybody about it, it's just absolutely awful officiating. So yeah, he probably shouldn't have been doing this for as long as he has, so happy retirement, Tim Peters. He's got a head start on it, got an early go at it, because you're right, Izzy, that's the difference is the control in this spot, like going into it. Like I sat in plenty of meetings here, and this is the one learning thing I got to the NFL, where you see inside these meetings, they scout the officials, they scout the crews, just like everybody else. So you know tendencies, and I understand. Man, if some crew's going to call holding tighter, I got to try and work a little bit less. But it's one thing to know they're human beings with tendencies, and it's another to know that this guy's out here thinking he can pull the strings like a puppet master on here. And that second part is never going to work. I have as much empathy as I humanly can for officials, which isn't a lot because they're a third of the game that managed to escape criticism, literally in this case, more often than they should. And so there's part of me that looks at this and says, yeah, this is exactly how this is supposed to go. Wrong. Entitled to your opinion, but I disagree with both of them. Because everybody does it. If the NHL is going to fire Tim Peel for that, then they got to fire all of them. They have to fire every single official that they have because they all do it. NHL, NBA, NFL, they all do it. We act like this is some kind of egregious act against the game. We act like this. First of all, are we really being that offended anymore when somebody drops an F-bomb on an open mic? Are we really going to act like, I understand there's kids, you know, listening sometimes. I get that. But aren't we used to that stuff by now? Look, if you're going to put mics on everybody, Stuff's going to happen. When you're going to mic up everybody, players, officials, coaches, when you got cameras and mics everywhere, you get what you get. Should Peel have admitted to doing that? Probably not the smartest thing in the world. But is this such some terrible, egregious act that he had to get fired for it? No. Because we all know that it happens all the time. NHL is just saving face. That's all that is. Because there's some more information out there, a little piece of information that had Michael Wilbon going, hold up now. This official was out in April. He was retiring. You know, they're not really flexing the NHL. They want to appear as if they are. They're not. This is about optics. This is spin. This is PR. No league wants to, even though they all are married to technology. They don't want the conversations on the ice, on the court, in the field to play, at home, plate in the batter's box. They don't want this stuff made public. You and I know enough players over enough decades to know these kinds of conversations take place all the time. Guys know they miss calls. They'll say to a player, I blew it. You'll get it back in the fourth. You'll get it back in the third period. This happens all the time. And if the NHL or NBA or Major League Baseball or NFL wants to act like these conversations don't take place, they're liars. <laughs> they're being frauds. Yep. It's disingenuous for the NHL to act like these conversations don't ever happen. That's garbage. 
100% garbage. And right, did you catch the beginning of that clip? Tim Peel is retiring next month. He was gone anyway. So for the NHL and Colin Campbell to come out and say, oh, his comments were unacceptable, Uh, they couldn't be justified, we must protect the integrity of the game, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) He was out in a month. They just expedited the process. (laughs) To sit here and have some people act like this was some awful thing, stop it. Stop it. And Will Bond's right, by the way, because I've experienced it. I have experienced it as a coach when an official kicks a call and sometimes they'll actually openly admit it. So you know somewhere down the road you're getting that call back. It happens all the time. The integrity of the game, please. All right, time for a break. Back with more. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Talking about, uh, I guess, former NHL official Tim Peel getting fired for uh, getting caught on a hot mic admitting that he uh, called a light penalty against Nashville for, I guess, his own reasons. He, he said he just wanted to give him a penalty, I guess, to even up a call or a makeup call or whatever. And I, I think it's pretty stupid to fire him for that. It's been going on forever in all sports. <laughs> it's nothing new. Uh, Colin Dunlap, co-host of the Fan Morning Show in Pittsburgh, tweeted, uh, fire Tim Peel. Fine. Can't say what he said on a hot mic. I don't agree with that, but whatever. But here's his next point. But be careful what you wish for. In all sports, if you want to take gray area and situational awareness out of officiating and have them call everything by the book, prepare to have calls, especially late, decide more games. And that's an excellent point. Look, officials, referees, they're human. Okay? There is that gray area. There is that situation where sometimes they swallow their whistle late in games. Sometimes they understand the situation and they'll call a penalty or not, depending on the situation. If you want to take all that out and say, hey, penalty's a penalty, call it. Or if foul's a foul, call it, then the game will turn into a disaster. Because in basketball, you'll have 80 fouls a game. In football, you'll have 80 holding penalties a game. In hockey, you'll have 30 penalties a game. You you can't just say call everything by the book and then run with it. You can't. I told you before the break, I have experienced both ends of it. Okay, look, when I was running, uh, I ran a church basketball league for a couple years down the road. And I officiated in that league. And 
you know, for those of you who, who constantly complain about officiating, go ahead and try it. Call or hold on. Go ahead and try it. And you'll see how tough it is. It's not easy. And you know, you know when you kick a call. You know it when it happens. We'll hit the pause button on that for a second. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? It's Dwayne. How you doing? Dwayne, what's going on, man? Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface first off, he should have not been fired at, at all. Right. There's no way. However, everybody knows there's, there's gray areas in just about any, any walk of life. If you, if you see things in black and white, my, my saying is, if you see things in black and white, then you have no gray matter. So there's gray area <laughs> I like everywhere. That. He should have had some type of punishment for being a bonehead and saying something like that on a hot mic. Right. It definitely should not have been a firing. I agree 100%. That's ridiculous. Right. Because everybody does it. Everybody, like from your office, you know, you're in the office and you see like some, some post-it notes. Oh, they would look good at home. You know, <laughs> you, 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 you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. But if you're caught, you know, you know, Five finger discounting the, the the posted notes. There's going to be a punishment. Sure, and the punishment should fit the crime. This this punishment does not fit the crime. No, I it's basically agree. Basically, a death sentence for being a bonehead. <laughs> right. Hey, look. So, if, if that was the case, we'd all be in trouble. Exactly. You know. You know I mean, we we show up thirty seconds late. Ah, you're fired. Right. You know what? What kind of craziness is that? Well, I've been here twenty two years. Ah, too bad. You're right. Fired. You know, it doesn't fit the crime. Right. So, uh, but that's that's just my my take on the whole thing. It, they they went a little overboard, especially if the dude's going to be retiring in a month. Give me a break. And that's the it's, thing. It's, and they knew they had that fallback, right? They knew he he was yeah. gone in a month, so they're trying to make it look good by firing him. Yeah, and and that's I, I don't even I think it makes him look worse. To be honest with you, I, I never thought about I think that. It makes them makes them look like idiots. So that, that's like I said, my, that's my take. The punishment should fit the crime. You know, if he's out there, you know, having you know sexual harassment lawsuits or something like that, or or if he's he's betting on games or something like that, go ahead and fire him. Right. You know, but for this, come on, right? That's ridiculous. For for doing something that we all know that's being done anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what the most egregious thing is. Anybody that hasn't watched Vision Quest yet. I, I don't know if, if you know. I don't know if you've gotten to that. I have not. I that have is a, a travesty. Uh, should, should, I, should I be fired for that for not seeing Vision Quest? I, I, I don't know. It's borderline. They <laughs> should take it up with the committee. Or something. So I'm just saying that that you might want to do that homework. All right. Very good. Vision Quest. I know. Every time. Every time. All right. All right. Well, have a good one. All right, Dwayne. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the call. Have a good day. Three zero one seven five nine two six two eight. I got to see Vision Quest. I haven't heard from Dwayne in a while. Good to hear from Dwayne. Yeah, Vision Quest. That's on the list. That's on the list. Got to see Vision Quest. But he's right. The punishment needs to fit the crime. And in this case, it didn't. And it, it may be, and I, I never really thought about that until he brought it up. This makes the NHL look worse for firing a guy for doing something we all know is done like a month before he retires. That actually makes him look worse. To fire a guy for that, and like I said in the previous segment, you, you need to fire everybody because they all do it. They all do it. 
He was just, as Dwayne said, a bonehead and admitted it. He got caught in a hot mic saying it. And as I was saying before Dwayne called, and we'll pick this up you know, past the top of the hour, I officiated games, basketball games, in a church league. And it's hard. It's so much so that I stopped doing it. Because I didn't, I hated it when I missed a call or I blew a call. And that's, if you've ever officiated, you know it. You know immediately when you kick the call. And it's like, oh, man. And I was told by one of the guys who were, you know, they were kind of, he was training us, bringing us along, trying to teach us how to officiate. He's like, no matter what the call is, you make that call with confidence. You have conviction in your call. Even though you immediately, and trust me, you immediately know that you missed the call. You call with confidence anyway. And so you did. But in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, man, I, boom. I blew that one. And then you start looking. Maybe, you know, intentionally, subconsciously, you start looking for a way to make that call up. To even things out a little bit. Now, he didn't tell us that, but it happens. And I think any official or any referee who doesn't admit that, they're just, they're they're, they're being disingenuous because it happens all the time. All right. We'll talk about this more later. Time for a break. Top of the hour. Rock around the region. Stick around. 102.1 FM. What's the number again? FM? AM 1230 Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. You know, I was talking about officiating. And, you know, I officiated game basketball games in the church league. I, 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 I did it for one year, and then I was done. I did not like missing calls. And you miss calls. And, and you officiate, you know you miss calls. You, you know when you blew a call. And as a coach, you know, back when I was head coaching, every now and then you have an official who, as they run by you, or if they're standing next to you during timeout, they'll admit it. Hey, coach, uh, hey, missed that call. Hey, coach, you know, hey, blew that call right there. So you know that you're getting a makeup call somewhere down the road. Because an official isn't going to admit that unless he's going to, he's going to fix it. Now, he's not, it's not going to be blatant. He's not going to just, just uh, pull a foul out of thin air. But if it's a 50-50 call, if it's a charge block, if it's one, you know, chances are you're going to get it. You're going to get that call later in the game. They know they messed up. And I say this all the time. Do we get mad at officials and referees? Yes. Do we get mad when the call goes against our team? Yes. But officials, referees, umpires, they're, they're human beings. They make mistakes. The mistakes they make aren't intentional. They're not trying to make bad calls. They're not trying to miss call. And I'm not going to sit here, you know, this isn't a, you know a rallying cry for officials and referees. Because sometimes they make some really bad calls. You know, look what happened. Remember the the Rams uh, Saints playoff game a couple years ago, and that blatant missed defensive pass interference. Right, those kind of calls stick out. But other calls, look, it happens. It happens. And I always, you know, I invite anybody to pick up a whistle and go do it. Go officiate a basketball game. Go umpire a baseball game. 
I go officiate a football game and see how it's not easy. It's it's really, really hard. And you got people who get carried away in the bleachers, constantly blaming the officials. You know, coaches going off on the officials constantly. But players, I always tell our players, man, the day you play a perfect game, then you can start in on the officials, right? The, the day a player plays a perfect game or a coach coaches a perfect game, then you can get on the officials for not calling a perfect game because it ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. You know, the day a player shoots 100% from the floor, doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't commit a foul, you know, plays an absolutely 100% perfect game, then you can consider yourself higher and, and mightier enough to go after your officials. Officials are one-third of the game. And they make mistakes like everybody else. They call games a certain way. They have certain tendencies. What might be you know, a foul from this official might not be a foul from this one. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. And people who just constantly blame the officials for everything, I don't know what to tell you. You're missing the boat, man. You really you really are. We were at a game not too long ago where you realized very early on that anything that could have been considered a block charge was going to be a charge. That's how they called the game. If you, as a defender, stepped in front and you drew contact, it was going to be a charge. So you made sure the players know that. You made sure they realize that. That, look, this crew or this particular official, a 50-50 call like that, it's going to be a charge. So then you tell your team, try to draw more charges. That's the way it goes. It's all part of the game. It's all part of it. Whether you like it or not. In situations like Tim Peel with the, the NHL there, And the makeup calls and the, you know, setting up certain calls down the road. It's just, it's all part of it. And it's, it's been done for a long time. Now, here we got Matt checking in on Facebook. And Matt says uh, he completely agrees with me, but as a coach, uh, <laughs> it, this is true. This is true. That there are officials that think they are never wrong and will not give a makeup call. That that's also true. That is also that is also true. That there won't there are some officials who who will not, you know, give you that makeup down the road. <laughs> but again, there are also coaches who won't admit that they, you know, coached a bad game. And there are players who will never admit that they played a bad game. Right? It's always somebody else's fault. So again, that, that all comes with the territory. That's all comes with, you know, sports. And, and playing games and competition. Some officials are, you know, they know how it goes. They know how the game is played. I kick the call. I'm going to make it up. But <laughs> he's right. There are some officials who are never wrong, who never blow a call. Every single call is right. And that's that. But again, you can say that pretty much about anybody in any profession, right? We've all worked with people or been around people who 
They're infallible. Nothing is ever their fault. It's always somebody else. So this is that's no different than anything else. All right. Ah, uh, what are we doing? Do we did we we skipped that? Didn't we the rock around the region. Want to do that now? Let's do that now. As soon as I hit the right button here, I want to rock right now. There it is. I I could have transitioned to that a little bit smoother. I realized that, but I didn't. Uh, so what? We start in boys high school basketball, where Keon Padmore Johnson had 22 points to lead Spring Mills to a 64-55 win over Hampshire in Romney. Trevor Sardo had 18 points to lead the Trojans, who have lost four straight after a 3-0 start. Now, correct me if I'm I could have swore I saw somewhere where Berkeley County was in, in the red. Isn't Spring Mills in Berkeley County? Or, 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 or are they not? Are they somewhere else? Am I wrong on that? I thought I saw, I could be completely wrong. I could have swore I saw that Berkeley County was in the red, therefore all the sports are shut down, like Martinsburg and uh, Musselman. Is Spring Mills not in, in Berkeley? How are they playing last night? Or are they not in the red? What am I, okay, I'll have to double-check that. Anyway, uh, on the girls' side, Frankfurt, they did play last night. And they rolled over Robert C. Bird 57-27 at RCB. Uh, Marie Perdue did it again for the Falcons. With 23 points. Izzy Layton and Haley Smith each had 11 as FHS improved to 8 and 1. Elsewhere, Preston was a three better than Buchanan Upshur, uh, 48 45. In college football, something we will talk about here more in depth in just a bit. West Virginia's uh, Tyke Smith announced uh, he is entering the transfer portal. Smith had 61 tackles last season, eight for a loss, two picks, and seven passes defended. He is the second uh, Mountaineer defensive starter to enter the portal this offseason. Cornerback Dreshen Miller uh, transferred to Auburn. In spring training action, Adam Frazier and Nick Gonzalez homered as the Pirates beat the Braves 6-3. Bucks announced yesterday that starting pitcher Stephen Brault will be shut down for at least a month with a lat strain. Oh, got to watch those strained lats. I don't even know if I have lats anymore. Elsewhere, the Orioles were blanked by the Red Sox 2-0, and the Nationals lost to the Astros 11-8. Ryan Zimmerman homered twice for the Nats. Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber also homered. Those guys have been just mashing the ball uh, this spring for Washington. On the ice last night, Sidney Crosby and Zach Aston Reese each had a goal and a helper as the Penguins cruised by the hapless, and I do mean hapless, Sabres. 5-2 in Pittsburgh. Buffalo has now lost 15 straight games. That's the longest streak since Arizona lost 15 straight back in 2004. Same two teams do it again tonight at uh, PPG Paints Arena. I almost said PPP Paints. That's not even a thing. Also tonight, the Capitals return from a five-day layoff to host the Devils. That game can be heard right here. On this station, pregame 645. And since the Caps are at home, that means the Wizards are on the road. Uh, They take on the Knicks at the famous uh, Madison Square Garden. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Uh, James tells me that uh, Jefferson County is red, not Berkeley County. So I had that wrong. 
All I know is the other night there were a ton of games postponed from that area. But I guess it had to do with Jefferson County, not Berkeley County. So thank you for the uh, clarification there, James. All right. So as I mentioned in the Rock Around the Region, uh, Tyke Smith is gone from Morgantown. He's out. He's done. He's finished. And, you know, we talked yesterday about the West Virginia basketball team potentially losing two guards from this year's team. Sean McNeil entered the NBA draft process, but he can return to school. Jordan McCabe, he entered the transfer portal, so he will not be back. And then you have the news about Tyke Smith, who is now in the portal. So his career in Morgantown is done after two uh, very productive seasons. As a freshman, Smith made 53 tackles, had two picks. Last season, as I just told you, 61 tackles, two picks, and seven passes defended. And he was named first-team All-American by Pro Football Focus, and now uh, he's gone. Smith uh, posted his decision on Twitter, as they all seem to do these days. He thanked the university for the opportunity to play. He thanked his teammates, thanked his coaches, thanked the fans, his family and friends. And with all that said, uh, he bounced. (laughs) He he entered the portal. Thanks for the memories, but uh, I got other places to be, right? And so now the Mountaineers have lost half of their starting secondary this offseason. Jeshon Miller, he's with Auburn now. And Tyke Smith, he'll be somewhere else real soon. And if we can go back to basketball for a moment, in the last three days, Marshall has lost its all-time steals leader and its all-time leader in block shots. Both are now in the portal. On Tuesday, uh, senior point guard Jared West announced he is entering the portal. Now remember... Because of the pandemic, seniors have an extra year of eligibility. But instead of playing at Marshall for a fifth season, West is bolting Huntington. This year, he averaged 12.5 points, 6 assists, 2.5 steals a game, and, as I mentioned, he became the school's all-time steals leader. And West said, it was nothing bad about Marshall. There's nothing wrong with Marshall. But at the end of the day, he wanted to compete with and against players at the highest level. So basically, hey, it's not you, Marshall, uh, it's me. And then yesterday, less than 48 hours after Wes bolted, Jansen Williams announced that he is portal bound. Uh, He's a 6'9 redshirt senior. He averaged 9.5 points, 4 boards, and just over two blocks a game this past season. He became the school's all-time leader in blocks in February, had at least 29 blocks in all four seasons at Marshall. He had 72 blocks as a sophomore. So the point I'm getting at is this. With those two guys leaving, with West Virginia losing two uh, defensive backs, this transfer portal, which is only, and it seemed, I swear it seemed like it's been longer, has only been in existence since 2018, is completely changing, is it not, the course of college athletics. It seems like every single day there's somebody jumping in the transfer portal. 
somebody wanting to go somewhere else. And look, the initial reason for the transfer portal was to basically streamline and simplify the transfer process for the compliance departments at these schools, right? The consensus has been that, you know, the things that used to take days, weeks, or even months in the transfer process, that, that's all gone. And really, it can all it, it can be started now in a matter of minutes. And, and the portal, what it really is, if we're going to break it down here, it's really a database or a database, depending on where you're from, of every player who has interest in transferring from their current school. And it includes every college sport. All player has to do now, and they've made it really, really easy, which is why we see more and more names going in there. All player has to do to get into the old transfer portal is go to their school's compliance department and tell them that they want in the portal. That's it. Now, a lot of departments, they will, they'll tell the player, hey, maybe you want to go talk with your coach first. But they don't have to. They go right to the compliance department and say, I want in the transfer portal. The school has 48 hours to comply with the request. Meaning compliance administrators and coaching staffs, they can't say no. They can only delay the inevitable. They can only put it off for a day or two. But if a player wants in the portal, they can't be declined. Now, it used to be that players had to request permission from the coach to be released from their scholarship. And sometimes the coach would say no. Sometimes the coach would block a transfer. You know, like if they didn't want a player going to a, a specific school or maybe to a school in their own conference, they would not release the scholarship. Now they can't do that anymore. Now they have to comply. Now, granted, one risk in entering the transfer portal is that a player's scholarship at their current school is no longer guaranteed. Like, once you get into the portal, the school can rescind the scholarship, take it back, and offer it to an incoming student athlete. Right? So you take that risk. And, and entering the transfer portal doesn't guarantee a scholarship somewhere else. And I think we have, in some instances, some players getting some bad advice because it's not, look, uh, P.J. Fleck, who's the head coach at uh, Minnesota in the Big Ten, he said, quote, they think they enter the portal and are automatically going to have a scholarship. The portal isn't something where you teleport magically somewhere else, end quote. And he's right about that. I think a lot of people miss out on that. There could be, get this now, there could be by June, this June coming up, more than 2,000 players in the transfer portal in college football alone. 2,000. Now, the extra year of eligibility has a lot to do with that. And there's the one-time transfer rule. And the NCAA is expected to vote on that rule after the Final Four. And basically, that would allow student-athletes one penalty-free transfer in their college career. Because right now, 
if you transfer, you have to sit out a year. That's the penalty. If you want to go from one school to the next, you have to sit out a year. Unless, unless you get a waiver to play immediately. And that's usually the process now. If you enter the transfer portal and you jump from school A to school B, you can file a waiver request and it has to go through all the, you know, all the channels, all the you know, whatever. And if that gets approved, then you can immediately play at the new school. Sometimes the waivers are granted, sometimes they're not. But now, being able to transfer without that penalty, without sitting a year, is essentially opening up college sports to free agency. That's what it's doing. Players can leave one school, head to another, and be eligible immediately. Now, again, that doesn't mean, that doesn't guarantee every player in the portal will find a new school, and that's the risk you take. But we're talking about guys like Dreshen Miller, call her, hold on, who is now in Auburn, and we're talking about guys like Tyke Smith, who just left West Virginia, will have no trouble landing somewhere else and playing immediately. That is where college athletics is going. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Hey, Tony. This is James. What's up? Hey, uh, I just wanted to clarify a rumor I've been hearing this week. Um, the rumor was that the Mountain Ridge and Allegheny game that was scheduled to be played at Frostburg was going to be played at Greenway Avenue because of field issues up at uh, Mountain Ridge. Uh, I t- talked to Coach Patterson. He said that the field issues have been resolved and it's going to be played at Mountain Ridge, not at Greenway. Apparently, in the wintertime, they had a snow plow on the field, and it really tore it up, and it was deemed unplayable for soccer, but they fixed it this week, and it's going to be played in Frostburg. I was going to say, because they have uh, the field turf, right? They don't have natural yeah. up there. No. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, I, has, I saw pictures of it. It didn't look great, but uh, they fixed the issue, so it will be played at Mountain Ridge as originally scheduled. All right. That's Friday at uh, 5 o'clock. Friday 5. All right. Very good. All right. Later on. Bye, right, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, bye. Yep. 301-759-2628. James, of course, will have the call of that game right here on this very station. Up there on the mountain. And we talked about it yesterday. Uh, tickets are available day of the game. No pre-sales. I think ticket booth opens at 3. Right? Yeah. Open at 3. And once they reach uh, stadium capacity... Then they're closing the gates. That's it. So get there early. Uh, back to the transfer portal. I know some people are all about it that student athletes should have certain rights. And I agree 100% with that. You should have the ability if you don't like your current situation. If you don't like where you're at, Of course, everybody has a right to change their mind. Just like if you don't like your job, you can go find work somewhere else, right? If you don't like what school you're in, you can go transfer. You know, if you were just, I shouldn't say regular student, but a non-student athlete, let's put it that way. Then you can transfer somewhere else. You can transfer your credit somewhere else. So if you're a student athlete and if you don't like the situation, you of course, of course, you should be allowed to go somewhere else. But, 
Man, it just seemed like they're making it real easy to do that. They're making it, and again, the portal was set up just to kind of streamline the process for the compliance administrator. Because all the information you need, and the portal isn't public. Only coaches and administrators can see inside the transfer portal. And it has all the information, the player's name, information, contact information. So if a coach goes on the portal, and look, not all coaches use a portal either. Not all coaches really believe in it. But if they use it, they can go right in. All the information is right there, and they can immediately contact, and they can immediately just, you know, go. That was the original reason. Now, it just makes it really, really easy for a player to say, you know what, I don't want to be here. I'm going somewhere else. I'm getting to the portal. Let's go. And that can be really inviting for players. A lot of the players in the portal are walk-ons. They walk on at one school. Don't really get what they want, you know. Either they don't make the team, or they make it, and they enter the portal. But again, there are some big time players who now are either going to be fifth year seniors with the extra year of eligibility, who want to go somewhere else. There are thousands of names in that portal right now, and if they pass that, you know, vote after the final four and take away the one year penalty, you're going to see more players jump in there. Say what? You mean I can just leave this school and go play for this one without having to sit out a year? Where you know, where do I sign? Put me in the portal. And again, if you want in the portal, they can't deny it. They can't say no. It's going in a direction that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Again, a student athlete should have the right to play wherever. But we're opening it up to making it real easy to just in some instances, quit and go somewhere else. Now, there are certain situations where you get recruited by a coach, right? A coach sits in your living room and and, and talks you into going to their school and they get fired or they move on to somewhere else. And now you're like, wait a minute, this guy recruited me. He's not here anymore. I want to go somewhere. I get that. I I get it. But a lot of times it's a matter of, hey, I'm just not playing. I'm not getting my PT. I'm not getting on the field. Or I'm not getting on a court. I want out of here. And they test the water somewhere else. Again, the big problem there is you're not guaranteed anything. You jump into that portal, your school has every right to yank your scholarship and give it to somebody else. And if you can't find a scholarship somewhere else, then what? It's a da- It's a dangerous thing. And, man, I'm telling you what, man, they, they waived that one-year penalty. Woo! It's going to affect a lot of schools and a lot of programs and a lot of players, for that matter. All right, time for a break. Got news and the weather coming up. And we'll talk about an Eastern Panhandle legend who recently passed away. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Mountaineers losing another defensive back. Tyke Smith entered the portal yesterday. And uh, we're really just kind of getting in depth on what the portal actually is and what direction it's going. It's just making it really easy for players to jump ship. Not that they don't have the right to, but 
especially if this one-year penalty is removed and they can play somewhere else immediately, boy, you're going to see that portal is going to be packed. And how long, and somebody brought up a good point here, how long before we find out that coaches or somebody involved with the program is tampering, right? It's probably happening already. We just don't know it. Especially if that one-year penalty is removed. How long before we get news that, hey, this coach, this booster, this whatever, talk to, you know, player A over here and said, hey, we got a scholarship for you over here. Why don't you enter the portal and we'll hook you up. You come play for us. Tell me that won't happen. It probably already is. But if they know that players don't have to sit and can play immediately, mm, this would be like the wild, wild west. All bets are going to be off. There's actually going to be recruiting. There's going to be recruiting players into the portal, which is not a good thing for college athletics. All right, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, Some of you who have been around for a while who have been involved in West Virginia high school sports, you may know the name, you may not. But a fixture at Hedgesville High School for decades has passed away. His name was Gilbert Miller, who died at the age of 94. And Miller is uh, really considered a legend in the Eastern Panhandle. He, he starred as an athlete at Shepherdstown High School, later at Shepherd University, where he was really a, a two-sport superstar in baseball and basketball. Uh, at Shepherd, uh, Miller was uh, the second leading scorer and rebounder his sophomore and junior seasons. And he was an even better baseball player. He hit 403 as a sophomore, 415 as a junior. And he was also 8-2 on the mound. Didn't play his senior year of college ball because he was signed by Connie Mack to play for the Philadelphia A's. How about that? Unfortunately, a knee injury uh, cut his pro baseball career short, so he returned to the panhandle and put together really a, a fantastic career at Hedgesville as a coach, a teacher, administrator. Never had a losing season in 15 years as varsity baseball coach. Spent 11 years as the freshman basketball coach. Spent 14 years as the varsity basketball coach. He was named West Virginia Basketball Coach of the Year after leading the Eagles to the Class A state title in 1970. He was named State Baseball Coach of the Year in 1975. And he was named State Athletic Director of the Year in 1987. Miller was inducted into the Shepherd University Athletic Hall of Fame in 1998. He was a member of the very first class of the Shepherdstown High School Athletic Hall of Fame. And he was inducted into the Hedgesville Athletic Hall of Fame in 2013. As a matter of fact, and we just played down there a couple weeks ago, the gymnasium at Hedgesville is the Gilbert Miller Center. And he was a guy who was also very active in the community. He was a member of the Berkeley 2000 Foundation. He was president of the 
Martinsburg Rotary Club. And here's a connection to what we're doing here. He also worked as a in the in the sales department for more than 25 years at our Martinsburg cluster of stations owned by this very company. And look, the man, like I said, he's he's an Eastern Panhandle legend. I mean, what can you say? A long career, heck of an athlete back in the day, back in the, going back into the 40s here. Started Shepherd, went to Hedgesville, and again, just involved with the kids, involved with the students, involved with the teams, involved with running the athletic department, involved with the community, just did it all. So I felt that it was worth mentioning and kind of, you know, uh, paying a little bit of honor, a little homage to Mr. Gilbert Miller, who again uh, passed away uh, at age uh, 94. Uh, don't forget, we have a Capitals hockey for you tonight on this very station. The Caps return from a five-day layoff to uh, host the New Jersey Devils and catch the game right here. A puck drop at 7 o'clock pregame is at 6.45. To catch a Nationals game last night, we had some uh, National Spring training action last night, right? As we get closer and closer to opening day, April 1st. Of course, this station, also your home for the Washington Nationals. All right, one more break. We'll come back to wrap things up. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's look at the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Sacramento's De'Aaron Fox? Don't get too many Sacramento Kings on the player who delivered. But the Kings point guard dropped 37 points to lead his team to a 110-108 win over the Hawks last night in Sacktown. So De'Aaron Fox, our player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Today, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course, maybe you don't know, so I'll tell you. Today is the trade deadline in the NBA. May have some movers, may have some shakers, I don't know. A couple Toronto Raptors names being thrown around. Victor Oladipo in Houston. But because of the way things are kind of situated now with the playoffs and everything like that, uh, ESPN insider Bobby Mark says, don't look for too much action at this year's deadline. Less action this year because the play-in tournament. We've expanded, you know, plus uh, two in the East, two in the West. There are a lot of teams that still are fighting to get in there, especially a team like Sacramento or um, Chicago. You know, the buyout market, market, we've seen Blake Griffin in Detroit, uh, you know, give back $13 million and then go sign in Brooklyn. Two players are, have been parked at home for over a month, uh, Andre Drummond in Cleveland and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. I don't think either player gets traded because they earn so much money and to, to match the mm-hmm. salaries. J.J. Reddick's going to be another interesting name um, to, to watch as far as a, a buyout candidate and you put those three guys on, a, on the open market and, you know, there's really no cap restrictions. Um, you know, all you're doing is just signing them for what they gave back. Then you're looking at these marquee teams like the Lakers, the Nets, the Heat, um, 
Philadelphia Clippers, you know, some of these upper echelon teams making a bid to go get an Andre Drummond and it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, that's the beauty of the buyout market. You don't have to trade a draft pick or you don't have to trade a player out. You're basically, it's like free agency and and, in late March, you're just trying to recruit that player. So you're just concerned there would be someone else scooping him up and, and you can look around at the market and their salary and say you're not worried about that. Yeah, I'm not. You know, if I'm if I'm uh, a team like, um, let's say, the Lakers regarding Andre Drummond, I'm I'm not concerned he gets traded, and you know we're going to lose out on him. I think it's just a matter of do we what we can offer and a playing time and a starting role does that outweigh you know what maybe a team like Brooklyn or even the Knicks could could offer. All right. So again, deadline is today, and uh, if anything happens, you know, uh, newsworthy. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Speaking of newsworthy, I can't believe this is happening. I can't. Please say it ain't so. Say this didn't happen. How will I ever be able to go on? The New York Post is reporting that Chrissy Teigen has deleted her Twitter account. (laughs) And she says goodbye to her followers. How will we ever be able to move on? Without Chrissy Teigen's vapid and useless points of view on Twitter, how will we ever? <laughs> oh God! Try and tell me the New York Post has nothing better to do than report on Chrissy Teigen deleting her Twitter account. I mean, seriously. That qualifies as news these days. The Post has nothing better. Nothing. Than to post on Twitter that Chrissy Teigen is no longer there. I mean, oh my goodness. (laughs) The humanity of it all. How will we ever get by? Anyway, (laughs) Uh, apparently I have to uh, change something here because I think I had something wrong. We were talking about the transfer portal and apparently coaches can still block transfers for various reasons. I thought and I said that the transfer portal is a, uh, gives players more freedom to transfer and that schools can't say no. Whereas before, a player would have to go to a coach and request a release from their scholarship. And the coaches can block that, and now the portal did away with that. Well, apparently not necessarily the case. That's my bad. Because I just saw this story, Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley confirmed yesterday that he has not released quarterback Chandler Morris, who has transferred to TCU, because Riley says that he and Oklahoma are opposed to transfers within the conference becoming immediately eligible. Now, TCU coach Gary Patterson said earlier this week that Morris is competing with returning starter Max Dugan. Wasn't that a movie? Max Dugan returns, or is it Max Duggan? I don't know. 
But even though he's still competing with Max, he still hasn't been released by Oklahoma. And Riley said during a Zoom meeting with reporters that this particular situation is about something that they believe in. That it's unhealthy for college football to encourage intra-conference transfers. Now recently, ACC, the ACC waived that rule. This is a couple days ago. They voted and decided that they will allow intra-conference transfers. And Riley says he's been opposed to that for a long time. He understands that things are changing with the transfer portal. He has nothing against Chandler Morris. He's just saying he doesn't want him playing against us. So, and that's what basically what it boils down to. Because another uh, kid transferred from Oklahoma, but he went to a Pac-12 school. So he was released. He was like, all right, you can go. And Riley says that he believes overall the changes in players' ability to transfer has been good for the players and for college football, you know, just as long as it doesn't affect Oklahoma. Because Riley himself has gotten several transfers. You got a a tackle from, actually, you got a tackle and running back from Tennessee. You got a quarterback from Penn State. You got a, a lineman from Arizona. He just doesn't want, you know, Chandler Morris to play against his Oklahoma team, which I think is pretty daggone petty. Is it not? Is it not? Let him go play for TCU. I applaud the ACC for waiving that rule, saying, you know what, if you want, if you play at Duke and you want to go transfer to North Carolina, go ahead. I applaud them for doing that. Lincoln Riley's come off a little bit petty here. Chandler Morris, you can transfer to any school in the country just as long as it's not in the Big 12. Come on. If you're good enough, stop them. Right? If you're good. So, obviously, coaches still can uh, block trans. I didn't realize that. So, that's my mistake. I retract it. My bad. Not the first time it's happened, and of course, it won't be the last. All right, we are out of here. We are done. Again, reminder, tonight, Capitals Hockey right here. They host the Devils. Puck drops 7 o'clock, pregame 645. Back tomorrow to uh, preview the Sweet 16. And Joe Shuda will have a basketball Rush Friday feature for us. All that's tomorrow. Join us then, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., And I am done. Ah, I'll see ya.